0: Good morning. I'm going to try to keep my voice down, but that's probably not going to happen. Uh, Romans 4 is where we are this morning. Romans 4. We're looking at verses 9 to 12 this morning. We have turned the corner looking at the good news, and this good news is for everyone. And so Paul is making that point. I tell you what, as, we, as you stand to your feet, uh, let me pray for us because um, I know my family has had an interesting night, uh, my dad's got some health problems right now, that's why my daughter's watching our phone, but he's, he's doing okay, um, but I think we all need a little prayer this morning, so let's pray and orient ourselves and uh, allow ourselves the blessing of being able to come to our Father. father who is in heaven we we thank you that we can come and have direct access to you in any in any time whether it's in the best times of our life or the hardest times of our life and that you promise that you will help us that you will calm us that you will orient us and that you will give us the power and the strength we need to do that which you have called us to do and so lord we all have a responsibility now to respond to your word, to hear it, to understand it, to apply it, and then to live it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us all, everything that we need for life and God lead us now through the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 4, beginning at verse 9. Don't do don't sit down. Don't sit down. I messed you up. I know. I never do that in that order. It was my fault. You know, Baptist. Romans 4, beginning at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but those who walk in the footsteps of of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of God. You can be seated. It's one of those things I never thought I'd say the word circumcised so much in in 30 seconds, but that's important today, and so we're going to look at it. But before we do, think about this, and I think this is a common experience we've all had. Have you ever walked into a church or maybe a gym or a school some kind of extracurricular activity that you have added into your life and felt sort of just like you didn't belong. Maybe you couldn't put your finger on it. Maybe it was an attitude. Uh, I don't know. You just didn't feel part of the group. We have this Southern friendly way of doing this not that this town would do it you ain't from around here are you that's the way that we exclude people from our group because we know there's something about them they're not part of our group Um, but belonging is important And, and so We can use that kind of illustration and say, well, is belonging a bad thing or is it a good thing? Belonging is a God thing. God put it in you when he created you that we all have to have a sense of belonging. And when we lose that, chaos ensues in our life. And on the day where we are saying all life is sacred... It is important to understand those among us who have have been traumatized at this level need need the church today. We all need to have a sense of belonging. The Jewish people, and I know this is hard for us because we're not, most of us in this room, communal people. We are individualistic people. We say you rise or you fall on your own. You work hard for it. You earn it. You deserve it. But the Jewish people were communal people. Whatever happened to the community happened to all of them. When one of them went down, they all went down. When something good happened in their life, it happened to the community. And they had a rich heritage. And the traditions that went along to underline that. But make no mistake, for the Jews, it was was a members-only reality. And then comes Christ. Christ changed everything. At least... It should have. But what we see creeping back into the church, even especially with the Jews, is this uh, this belief that somehow you needed to get people to conform to some kind of external ritual and then they can belong. Paul's point is clear. We need to go back to Abraham. We need to go back and understand to whom we belong and why we belong there. So, the sermon's clear from the word go, and he's been clear, and he keeps coming back to it. And anytime the Bible comes back to it, anytime your parents come back to something, anytime your boss comes back to something, he's trying to tell you this important. Those who have faith in Christ Jesus are family. No bigotry, no classism, no circle the wagons mindset in the body of Christ is allowed. We are a growing family, we're a multi ethnic family. We're a multicultural family gathered together under faith in Christ. And so the main idea, Abraham's faith, preceded any external rituals so that we might walk in his footsteps. I want you to see faith's blessing, its order, and its purpose. Faith's blessing, its order, and its purpose. First is blessing. This is review, but review is important, isn't it? So let's look at verse 9. He's asking a question here. He believes that they should know the answer by now. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We could say it this way. Is the blessing then only for Jews or is it also for the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And so the blessing. What is that Blessing. The blessing is that every person, what's Romans 1 to Romans 3, needs a righteousness that is outside of them because they have no perfect righteousness within them. That every good thing we do on our best day is polluted by sin. And so that all people, no matter who you are, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter what culture you came from, no matter what many zeros is on your W-2, you have a need that you can't fill on your own. And so righteousness has been provided. This is the blessing. Look with me. We love this passage, but we have to read it because nothing else quite fit as good as a passage from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us, Of both realities. In Ephesians 2 verse 1. We read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince and the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work. in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Paul is taking this truth and he is moving it that that our that our justification by faith, our righteous standing before God, has not only a vertical dimension, but a horizontal dimension and how it works to the people to whom we belong. He defines them. We don't get to define who's in the body of Christ. God does. And it is those he gives his righteousness to by faith. And so what he's going to make the point here, between verses 9 to 17, we're only going to go 9 to 12. But he makes two minor points, one major point. Minor point number one we're going to look at today. No person is justified by circumcision, or that is, any external rituals, good or bad. Verse 13 to 17, he's going to make the case that no person is justified by the law no matter how well they keep it. But Paul's main point into making those two small points is this simple truth that the Jewish people needed to understand. The Gentiles are family. They're family. They're part of the body of Christ because they have placed their faith. How can we know that's true? Here's the question that he wants them to ask on if the blessing is righteousness that is needed and it has been provided in Christ, for whom is that blessing? And he keeps repeating it because he doesn't think that if you just repeat something once with someone who has something instilled in their life, like bigotry or racism or anything else, you can say it over and over and over again and people will just hang it on the same framework they've always hung on unless you force them to question the very framework of their life they will keep doing the same things they've always done he's saying for whom is the blessing remember he's already made the point look back at chapter romans 3 verse 30 remember his argument here since god is one we will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There, Remember his point? There is one God. That means if there is one God, then he is the God of the Jews and he is the God of the Gentiles. If he is the God of the Gentiles, then they must respond by faith to the person and work of Jesus Christ just like everybody else. Nobody gets a shoe in, not the Jews and for sure not the Gentiles, he's making the point this morning that Abraham was justified as a human being, as a human person by faith, outside of his ethnic or cultural group. Clement, the bishop of Rome, who wrote around 90 to 100 A.D., put it this way, quote, It is through faith... That Almighty God has justified all that have been from the beginning of time. So we have to let this truth set in this morning. That all people can be declared right with God by faith alone. And before you just say praise the Lord. You need to find the worst person in your life. The person that for some reason you still can't find it in your heart to forgive. And you need to say, can they be declared right by God through faith? Can a pedophile be declared right? Come on now. Is this what is it? There's an implication here. And if you haven't asked that hard question, you don't understand the wonder and the mystery of the gospel. John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God redeems. How does this happen? This is the best way I can explain it. Faith. Faith is the human instrument needed for any person to be right with God. The Holy Spirit is the divine instrument that any person must have to be declared right with God. It is the Holy Spirit who must do that Ezekiel 36, that circumcision of the heart, to remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The Word of God, is the human and divine instrument that brings the gift of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit that that brings righteousness to any person. That is open to all peoples without exception. Our responsibility is that which is in the middle. We simply bring the Word of God to bear in people's life. It is the Spirit of God who gives them faith that they must use to believe. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is worth nothing at all. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Listen to this. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It was just so clear. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. It's clear faith has a blessing. It is the righteousness that we needed that comes as the word of God is proclaimed and as the Holy Spirit does his new covenant work. But what he wants us to get today is that faith has an order. Faith's order. And so he brings this issue up over and over again of circumcision. Verse 10 Back in Romans 4. How then was it counted to him? Now again, he's asking these questions. But by now, we ought to know it and they ought to know it. But he's asking it anyway. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. What is up with all of this circumcision? So what is circumcision anyway? Circumcision was the ritual act of removing a male child's foreskin eight days after birth. Let's look at it. It's in Genesis 17. Let me just read it to you. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. Your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that circumcision given to Abraham what What was the point? Why circumcision? Circumcision was a sign and a seal. A sign and a seal of what? It was a sign in the sense that a sign points to something greater than itself. If you focused on a sign and don't understand the purpose of it, you actually misuse it or misunderstand it. It was first and foremost. We can see from both Romans and, and Genesis here that it was, it was a sign first and foremost of God's covenant. One commentator put it like this. It was an outward sign of inward things. It was a sign of an inward posture of the heart toward one's God and each other. It was also a seal Back at verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. It was a seal in the sense that it authenticated the righteousness by faith that Abraham had while he was uncircumcised. That's what the text clearly is saying. The circumcision was a ceremony, it was a sign that Abraham was already righteous and he was already accepted by God. Circumcision didn't have any mystical, magical power. This is critical. And we'll see this in a minute when we begin to go move to Application. It was no mystical, magical power. It it was a ceremonial rite that bore witness to a covenant that God had made between himself and humans. Signs are not unimportant. This one was God-given, God-commanded. The covenant that he entered into was maintained by obedience. Genesis 18 verse 19 says this, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Even in Abraham's day, faith preceded circumcision, but it was obedience that displayed the authenticity of his faith. His faith. Was a working faith, an obedient faith. But there was nothing in circumcision, listen, this is an important word, was not the basis for his standing before God. It was important, but it was not the basis. It was not he, what he was supposed to rely on. It was not like a tattoo he got to show that we were in the club. It's faith that worked itself out into obedience, was the issue. How was it counted? It was counted by faith. You remember we talked about this last week. Abraham looked into the future and he placed his faith in the coming Messiah, that seed that would bring ultimate fulfillment to everything that God had promised. He looked at it ahead of time and believed it. So most of those promises he did not experience. That's faith. But here's the important part. And it's just such a simple argument that I'm not going to make it complicated. He just wants to get this from a foundational level. First, before we've talked about that there's one God. So God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now he says, just look at your text. Go back to Genesis Go back to Genesis 15, 15, 6. Here's what he's saying. Genesis 15 is before Genesis 17. Now, I know there wasn't no verse numbers there, but he said it is a logical timeline here, folks. It's what he was talking to the Jewish people, that Abraham was a dude brought into her, given promises, and he believed. He was 85 years old when that happened. 14 years later, he was 99 when the covenant of circumcision came. That's after. That's his his simple argument this morning. That faith was first before any religious, religious ritual or ordinance. There was faith. Abraham was justified. Listen, this is what he... This is, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing to the Jewish ear. Abraham was justified while he was uncircumcised. When did Abraham actually become a Jew anyway? He was just another uncircumcised dude that God revealed himself to. And what did he do? He believed. He believed. That's his argument. So what does all this mean? He said, Well, circumcision, I, I, is there something I missed here that I was supposed to be doing? What does it mean? Was, is he saying that there was something wrong with circumcision? Not at all. God gave it to him. Signs and seals are important, but they're not the basis of someone's salvation. Abraham met God, Abraham trusted God, and God declared him righteous. After that, he and his descendants were circumcised. They were marked off as God's people. And from that point, they were the Jewish people and everybody else. He's going back, so we need to go back and understand that before there was a Jewish person, there was a father of faith who God initiated the relationship and God initiated the covenant. And all he did was believe it. He trusted in his God. we got to go back there. Why is that important? Because faith is before rituals. Good ones. Biblical ones. Unbelievers do good things. Unbelievers join churches and do religious things. They do what we used to have in those little envelopes where we could check off all your boxes Unbelievers make good legalistic people. They just tell us what to do and we'll check off the boxes. There's going to be plenty of people in hell that just check the boxes. Saying faith before rituals. Right standing before good traditions. Nothing wrong with traditions. What are some good, healthy, biblical traditions that we have? We're going to focus on two. One set up right there in the middle of our worship center this morning. For the next two weeks, we're going to look at those. I'm going to park the spiritual car right here where we are and make sure that we understand the importance of rituals, but that we don't misuse them. Because that's exactly what he's warning us here. That you can have a good ritual, a biblical ritual, what we would call an ordinance or an element of the service. What some theologians call churchments. Things that were given to the church that are given to no one else. They're good. But there's there's an intrinsic danger when we misuse them. That's the danger I see often within the visible church. Misusing baptism. It's something that we just use to rededicate ourselves to God. That is not the purpose of baptism. And completely ignorant about what the Lord's Supper means. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to make sure that we understand it. But let's understand just first and foremost, there's nothing mystical or magical that happens under those lids there or in the water here. No more than there is something mystical and magical in circumcision. What mattered was faith in Christ. That was first. And this is obedience. Baptism is the first step of obedience. The point Paul keeps going back to, the point he wants to make clear. Is before we embrace any kind of tradition or ritual, good as they are, wonderful as they are, meaningful as they are in our life. We better make sure we have our right standing before God right. We better make sure faith is here. Faith, you see, has a blessing. It has an order. And it also has a purpose. A purpose. Let's look at verse 11. Let me read 11 and 12 Together. Faith's purpose. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. Their purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of all of the circumcised which are not merely circumcised but those who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised faith's purpose is that believing might bring belonging faith's purpose is that believing might bring belonging Faith in Christ makes us family. It adopts us into a forever family. But what I want you to say, as much as I could talk about today, as much as we could, where we could go with this, there was just one blaring thing that I think we need to get right. Resting precedes living. If faith brings belonging, then the first blessing that flows out of this belonging must be that now we have a person to rest in and a people to rest with. And if that doesn't happen, then you will not live by faith. To live by faith, you must first rest by faith. We know this is true. He gives you this in your physical body to prove that it's true in your spiritual. I feel it this morning. My family feels it. My dad's in the hospital. None of us got any sleep, especially him poking and prodding all night long. And I read an article today that says you and me need at least seven hours of sleep. And most of you need more. If not, what happens? Oh, you know what happens. Drunk a little bit. I'm I'm over-caffeinated right now. Because what happens without rest? Your alertness is diminished. Your memory is impaired. Your relationships are impacted. Your quality of life is not only reduced, it could actually be shortened. If physical rest is that important to you, And God reminds you of this even if you don't like it because every night you get tired and you have to lay down and go to sleep. He's reminding you that you're not God and that He is and that you need rest. And if that's true in the physical, how much more is it true in the emotional, in the psychological, and especially in the spiritual? If you don't understand who you belong to, You will not rest. Resting is essential to your state of mind, to your spiritual soul. And Christ has a message this morning, an invitation. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what are the questions that are in your life that maybe never get answered, Christ says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What flows out of our life as the body of Christ. Is that when people need someone to fall back into God's people is there. That's why he gives us biological family and spiritual family. Nobody has to have it together because nobody does. When one of us goes down, we all go down and we all rally around each other. This is the gift, the blessing, and this is the purpose. The purpose of faith is that we might realize that we belong. We belong. Faith's purpose is then also to provide footsteps to follow. This is a simple illustration, isn't it? Been used so many times, the footsteps in the sand, that children follow behind us or not. Verse 12 Walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. As we have said, and one of our brothers reminds us all the time, everybody makes disciples. Everybody is following someone in something. Every team in every industry, not just the church, understands that that's true. But believers, you need, we got to get this. Believing precedes belonging. And it is that belonging that which leads to rest in Christ, so that you may live, listen, that you might live in such a way that you can be followed. Because listen, somebody's following. You can try to isolate yourself if you want to. Someone's following. Even when isolating yourself, there is someone who needs somebody to follow, and you're not there. Aren't they supposed to follow Christ, preacher? Yep. But they see your life first. They see your life first. You see, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Don't turn this in some kind of mystical hocus-pocus saying words that you've been trained to that don't mean anything. When people follow Christ, Christ tells you to make Christ followers. We are the instruments. We are the instrument, as Tripp says, in the Redeemer's hands. Galatians 2.20 For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Someone laboring to live in that life is someone who is providing footsteps for which us to follow. So what today? Where is faith leading? Where is faith leading? Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's where I, why I didn't put my faith. It's not there. My faith is not there. I didn't put my there. I didn't put our, which is what I would have done if I wanted to say that. Where is faith? I want us to understand what we've already been talking about, that there is the faith, and then there is your faith. The faith is objective. It is absolute. It is absolute. It does not change. It does not move. It is as firm as God himself. It is his gospel. It is his word to his people. But our faith, it is often weak. But it is growing. Hebrews 11. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. You know we had to go here. When we talked about faith eventually, and we'll probably end up back here, there's just a couple of simple things that I want you to just ponder with me. Hebrews 11, if you just sort of just look at it for a minute, hopefully your Bible has the title on there. mine has a title that says, "By faith." So I like that. Simple, by faith. And then what we get into. For the next some 40 verses is a whole litany of people. This was incredibly formational 10 years or so, 15 years maybe ago for me and Christina. When God began to call us to do things that we didn't want to do. We already had our life set. We didn't need him to mess it up. (laughs) But you see when you Put your faith in Christ. He directs your life. He directs your path. And it's always good, but seldom easy. So, what we see, and I'm not going to read it all, is people whose lives didn't look the same. Their journeys were not the same. Some had it easier, some had it harder. Some seen great victories. Other, other had what we saw, you know, that guy went off that ski slope used to and had the, the agony of defeat. But what we see in all of their life, and this is what I wanted you to think about, even maybe for your future study, is what is the commonalities here that we see? And I think you'll find there's one central common element that this authentic faith, Though the journey is not the same, there's one thing that it always is producing obedience. Obedience. This is the same. Verse 4 Abel, a prescribed sacrifice. Romans 12 says, Your life is a sacrifice, that our life is worship. We don't just get to worship God any way we see, it's about faith. And faith works itself out in obedience. In verse 5, we see Enoch lived a life that pleased to God. What did that require? A righteous life. Verse 7 Noah did what? He built an ark. Hadn't rained. It was dry. Why would he do something crazy like that? Because God told him to. That's faith. Faith works itself out in obedience. Abraham obeyed. He left a land and went toward a land that he did not know. And on and on it goes. Look down at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received a thing's promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of a land for which they had gone out, they would not have an opportunity to return. But as it is, listen, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. They lived by faith. It looked like obedience, and they all died by faith, longing, listen, for the same thing, for the same thing. Here's the amazing part, I think, of this Hebrews 11. All these men and women lived and died by faith, the same faith that God gives us, and they are, even now, waiting for the fullness of their reward. That they will not receive without you, without me. Now you need to ponder that. Why is that? Because we are family. Listen, not my opinion. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There is still something waiting for those that are in heaven. And it is for God to bring the consummation of all things. When he will raise the the dead and he will glorify the saints. And we will all gather together. And then and only then will we experience the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. And we will do it together. Amen. Amen. It's good news today. So what is faith? Producing. We have said they are producing footsteps. That's what your faith does. Footsteps in the sand. Therefore, look at Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is not there to say that everybody who has died in your family is looking over the heavenly railings of heaven, rooting for you. That's not the point of the text the point of the text is that all of these people who lived and died by faith are witnesses and they have made footsteps in the sand and we are called now to do the same hebrews 12:1 says therefore since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses let us just like them Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seating at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, uh, Paul wants you to know that faith, believing, brings belonging and belonging provides resting. And resting is essential to living by faith. We have one brief life. And our call for you today is don't waste it. Leverage it. Leverage it. Ring it out. Just like Abraham did. Just like Noah did. Just like Enoch did. Just like all of those who came before us and those who will come after after us let us just do what God has called us to do make our footprint in the sand so that those who come behind us will know what faith looks like let us be faithful brothers for he who has promised is faithful and so now what we are coming to is a serious time we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come Tables are warned in in 1 Corinthians that this is not time to train your kids. This is not time to come if you're an unbeliever. But if you're a child of God, if you are in the faith, then you are welcome to the table. We come to the table together as a family to remember our one central person that all of our faith is oriented to. And so we come here. When we come to the tables, we are doing a lot, and we'll talk about that. But one of the things we are doing when we come to the table is simply saying thank you. So don't overcomplicate that this morning. Does it mean more than that? Yes, it does. But listen, it does not mean less than that. And so this morning, as, as, as wonderful as it is for a child to say thank you to his parents or for a spouse to say thank you to another spouse. Let us come to the tables and thank the one who gave up his son so that we could be adopted into the family. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for your sustaining grace in the life of your children. You are good and you only do good you have provided and you will provide us rest in the best of times and the worst of times because you are God and you have promised to do so and you will never go back on your word. And so, Lord, we now come to this time where we orient ourselves back towards the cross, back towards the blood of your son, back towards his body broken for us. And our response is, God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your own son so that we may put our faith in him and so rest in you forever. Thank you for the family that you have given us. May we enjoy each other and may we enjoy you now. Savior and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray, our Lord Jesus. Amen.